The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. morning to the book of Psalms chapter 92, Psalm 92. As you're turning there, just want to say congratulations if you've graduated uh, from anything this week. Some of you graduated just getting up this morning. That's a, that's a challenge in itself, but congratulations to those who've graduated high school or otherwise. Uh, how many are going to a graduation today or, or this coming weeks? Just a few hands. That's, aw- that's, that's a lot. I remember a couple years ago, Natalie and I were reminiscing. There was a weekend where I think we went to almost every two or three hours we had a large youth group graduating of seniors, and it was like every two or three hours we were at a graduation, a grad party, another grad party, and uh, if you've been there, you know it's a busy time of year. Uh, Psalm 92 this morning. Uh, just one more commercial before we officially start the sermon. Um, on Thursday afternoons at 2 o'clock, I know some of you work during this time, uh, but you are welcome to join me and, uh, and anyone else who may show up with uh, walking around the neighborhoods. We call it a share walk. Uh, we just ended up finishing Gracemore after seven months or so of walking through, putting door hangers on, inviting people to the church. Uh, if you'd like to join us in that, you're welcome to. We start at 2 o'clock, and we are on the back side of Maple Park. I had never been back in that particular area off uh, Benson, I think it was. Benson on the back side of Maple Park towards Clay Como. So if you're interested in joining us, 2 o'clock Thursdays, you are welcome to do that. And uh, it's a lot of fun and a lot of hills. So if you need your steps, I got over 11,000 on Thursday. So I just want you to know that. So just so you know. But Psalm chapter 92. You know, this morning we, we will continue our study of what is worship, but it's always good to start with a kid's story, right? Because those help frame things as they are. Uh, and, and Billy Spann gave two of his young grandsons, he was a grandfather, some money so they could buy something for themselves. Well, there was Davis, who was four, and Emmett, who was two. And their mother saw this as an opportunity from their grandfather to teach her boys about tithing in the church. And, and you know, it's a very important thing to do. So she explained they could buy something they wanted to, but they had to give a certain amount to God because really at the end of the day, it's all God's. And so Davis, the four-year-old, very smart, he said, uh, gave it a little thought. He said, well, let's give Everett's money to God so I don't have to give God any of my money. It's pretty good thinking for a four-year-old, and the two-year-old probably would not have known the difference. But, you know, sometimes it's easier, isn't it, to use someone or something else to face the music instead of knowing what our responsibilities are. And as we look at worship this morning, something that we often talk about in Thanksgiving is what we're going to talk about today. Having an attitude of gratitude, having uh, a Jesus-like attitude about what it means in this life to thank God through worship and how we can do that. Because this is what the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That is part of worship we often forget. We often sing the songs, and I think there's an element where we have thankfulness in our hearts, but often just taking time to thank God for what he has done for us is there. And so today, can I ask you, 
is all of your life a life of gratitude? Or do you have that attitude that, well, God has blessed me, but I'm going to let someone else thank God for the blessings in my life? Or maybe you say, how do, I, how do I thank God in my life, Darren? Everything's going terrible today. What is it that I can do today that's going to worship God through what I say and what I do? And some of you may say, you know, God has blessed me so much, I'm not sure I need to thank him again. I'm set up for life. <laughs> Watch that attitude. But one thing that I think we get out of this is this. The big idea today is that gratitude to God that finds his gifts pleasing but finds himself displeasing is not an attitude or a gratitude that glorifies him. You know, some people walk around this life and they're so happy to get things that God gives, the the health, the wealth, whatever it is, but they forget God in the process. And friends, if we lose the sense of God's hand on our lives, we will lose a sense of wonder and gratitude. Listen, you can't run your car today on gratitude for yesterday's gas. Does that make sense? You have to constantly be filled up. You have to constantly be seeking it out. And you have to constantly know that God's grace is a filling station by which you can have thankfulness no matter what circumstance you are in. And we're going to find that in Psalm 92 today. Four things we can praise the Lord for. This is going to come right out of the Psalms. Right out of the Psalms. We're going to praise God for His attributes. Who He is. We've studied that in recent months for who God is. We're going to thank God for his works, what he has done for us, both for the wicked and those who are his. If you can believe this or not, we're going to thank God for judging. Thank God for judging the world in righteousness. And then finally, we'll look at thanking him for his blessings. Thanking him for his blessings. Because so often, isn't it true that as a little kid opens a gift, and we're, we're seeing this with our kids as we grow older, as they open a gift, they are more excited about the gift than thanking the person that gave them the gift, right? None of you have ever had kids that do that. They're always like, thank you. They're writing the thank you notes right there. You know, I'm sure that happens all the time. But you know that's not true. And so as we study what is worship, I think we need to be reminded today what it is that we need to be worshiping God for and thanking him for because thankfulness, gratitude, is faith expressed in worship. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks or if you maybe forgot, we've started this study, what is worship, and we said that worship is seeing what God is worth and giving him his due. Or to, to say it another way, it's theology in high gear, study of God in high gear. And we looked at where to worship. We said we can worship anywhere. It's not just right here in this church. Why do we worship? Because it puts God in his proper place. How do we worship? We, we worship by what the Bible says. We don't try and add on to it with anything else. And, and who should worship? Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. And last week we saw that worship also goes to our daily life and how we work. Our work, whether that's homework, whether that's work in the home, whether that's work in a job, whether that's side work, whether that's volunteer work, whatever God has given you in life to do, you can worship God through that. We also saw that worshiping God comes through prayer, that sometimes that is an often forgotten area of worship is prayer. And then finally, worship is depending on God for everything that you have. Because, friends, without God's hand on your life, what is it worth? It's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. And the psalm we're coming to today is actually an interesting psalm. If you look there at Psalm 92, you may have this little phrase in your Bible. It'll say, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. A song for the Sabbath. And according to Jewish tradition, and I don't know if you can verify this or not, but the Jews actually believe that Adam, the first man, wrote this song. 
you can believe that. Uh, there's some debate over that, but one thing we do know is that this psalmist, the writer of the psalm, calls the people of God back to be thankful for him and not just his gifts. To be thankful for who God is and what he stands for, not just what he can give you through his blessings. And the glory of God shines through because it's going to show us that no matter what life throws at us, we really can be thankful. And as we are thankful, we worship this amazing God for who he is. With that said, if you'll join me in standing, as we do here, if you're able, for the reading of God's word, and we will begin reading in Psalm 92, Psalm 92. Alrighty, start the clock there, Psalm 92. Verse 1, I'll be reading the ESV Bible today. It says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, and by the works of your hands I will sing for joy. Verse 5, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man can't know, and the fool can't understand this, but though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But verse 8, you, O Lord, are on high forever. Notice the contrast there. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish and all evildoers will be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like, my, like an ox and you have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies and my ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Verse 12, the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. They still bear fruit in old age, and they are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And aren't we grateful there's no unrighteousness in him? Let's bow our heads as we pray this morning. Father, as we continue our study of worship, may we do something that goes across all types of worship, whether that's exclusive psalm singing, whether that is a band, whether that is a cappella, Father, whether that is just simply being by ourselves with you in a secular office or workplace somewhere, Lord, that thankfulness, gratitude for who you are and what you have done surpasses anything you could ever give us physically, emotionally, or whatever it is. For in Christ, our joy is complete. Father, give us wisdom as we study. May it be for your honor and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, the psalmist here, he gives us four things we are to be thankful for as we worship. Four things to be thankful for. And it's interesting here because the psalm begins with worship. If you notice that in verse 1, it starts off right away. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. And so the focus of this first point is on who God is. That's what it's all about. Because if you know who God is, you have every reason to be thankful. And how we respond to God is done in two ways. He says that you can declare it with your words and you can demonstrate it with your worship. Look first at verse, verses 1 and 2. He says, a song for the Sabbath. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Friends, we are told that to give thanks to God is a good thing. It's an appropriate thing and it's a right thing to do. And that is the first point I want to get across to you is that when God puts a period somewhere in the Bible, don't put a question mark, but declare it with an exclamation point, if that makes sense. Sometimes we get to these phrases and we just assume we do that in our lives. Well, yeah, Darren, no one's going to argue with you. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. 
That's, that's easy. But do you do it? Isn't that the case with the Bible? You know, sometimes we chase rabbit trails of theology and rabbit trails of Bible study and rabbit trails of, uh, I wonder what happened in history with this, that we lose the forest for the trees about the basics of what God has called us to do. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Sometimes you get so much into a study of something that the very basic thing that God wants you to do in the passage is missed just so you can chase a rabbit. Now, I'm not against chasing rabbits. I think on my sermons the last year, we've done quite a lot of that. Amen? But one thing that I want you to know right off the bat here is where God puts a period, don't put a question mark. There is no question here that we are to thank the Lord. The avenues of worship, he gives us here how to do this with our words. He says, give thanks, literally praise the Lord. He says, sing praises. That's why our songs in worship have lyrics, especially that point to God. And he says, declare loving kindness. But notice here, it isn't just at a certain time at 1030 on Sunday mornings or in the old school Baptist days, Wednesday nights at 630 for an hour of prayer meeting. Friends, notice at verses one and two, he says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to the Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning. And what else? At night. It's all the time. It's when you're lying down. It is when you are sleeping. Yes, it is possible to give thanks to God in your sleep. And for some of you spouses, that means you don't snore next to your spouse. That is a good way to, I'm just kidding. But friends, here it is. You are to worship God everywhere, at every place, and every time. And the problem is, is we often forget that. The problem is, is that we want to chase other things, and so we forget what God has done for us in the here and now. But remember, He is the Lord Most High. He's loving. He's faithful. We are to declare that with our words. What a God He is. Amen? He's a great, great God. We're also to praise Him for His attributes through our words, but we're also to praise Him with our worship. Notice there, verse 3. Again, we don't have these things in our worship services, but to, to the music of the lute and the harp for the melody of the lyre. This is basically a list of things that we can praise God with. Excuse me a second. I'm going to fix this earpiece. Keep falling on me. There we go. And what are we to praise God with? We are to praise God with these different instruments. Now, a question one of you all asked us a couple weeks ago, does it matter if we have all these instruments? Are we less praising God if we don't have every single instrument that comes here? And the answer is what? No, it's not. Look, there are churches that believe very firmly that any instrument that is not listed in the Bible should never be used in worship at all, if you knew that or not. And that's okay. Thank God for their conscience to do that. Look, uh, if you play the drums or if you play the flute or the lute, I've never, you know, if you play the lute, praise the Lord. Amen. If you play the harp, praise the Lord. What a joyous thing. Uh, some of you can still play that recorder they give you in fourth grade pretty well. Talk to Blake. He might need your, your services, you know. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can use all these things. What matters most here is that we demonstrate God with our worship to God. Notice here that he, he, he says, worship him with good words in a good way. Good words meaning that we are to have theological, biblical words. We don't just throw things up and praise God with our instruments because they sound catchy. Yes, songs should be catchy to some degree, but we praise God because of who he is. And that is why we praise God in the way that we do. And so the second point I want you to see here is that no church or ministry or anything, no pulpit will ever rise any higher than its worthy thoughts of God. Look, if your thoughts about God are low right here, and you say, God is this to me and nothing else, and you forget who God is, then your worship will show just that. 
Friends, that's why we spent four months studying who God is. Because when you see God for who he is, you cannot step back but say, thank you, Lord, for being you. Thank you, God, for being you. Because there's nothing that can change that. Look, if you're having a terrible day this week, wherever you are at, can I just stop to have you thank God for these verses right here? Thank God that I have a God who is faithful by night. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that while you sleep, that God neither slumbers nor sleeps? Aren't you grateful that he is the one that has steadfast love, that his love isn't dependent on you, it's dependent on his character, which is always perfect. What an awesome God he is. No, I'm not a Star Wars, huge Star Wars fan. I drugged my wife a couple of weeks ago to watch the latest Star Wars movie. How many of y'all have seen that before? Wow, there's a lot of Star, Star Wars fans in here. How many are, do we have Trekkies in here? Who are brave enough to raise your Trekkie hands? That's right. Okay, good. You know what? Uh, a couple months ago, a few months ago in the new Star Wars movie, there are two new characters uh, named Finn and Rey. And in a scene in the beginning, the two are being chased by the, basically the dark side or the empire, whatever you want to call it. And as they're sprinting across, they're having artillery shells blow up. You'll see that on the screen up there. And, and Finn, who's the gentleman in the picture, yells, we need a pilot. And without breaking stride, Ray, the girl, hollers back, we got one. And in confusion, Finn's like, what? He said, you? You're the pilot? And without any hesitation, she just drives the ship or whatever she does. And of course, what's the ship? It's the Millennium Falcon. We have to tie up all loose ends. But she was the pilot. She was exactly what they needed in the moment, even though Finn, this guy running with her, did not know it at all. Guys, I am grateful that sometimes in the morning, in the night, wherever we are, that God is exactly what we need, whether we know it or not, at the exact moment, whether we know it or not, in that time. Does that make sense? We can praise God for his attributes for that way. Because you don't realize Jesus is all you need until you see that Jesus is all you have. And for some of us, we have to come to that realization. Friends, if you want God's grace, all you need is need, for you need nothing more than all he has in himself. That is what we're called to thank God for. Look, you should not begin to pray for all you want until you realize that God is all that you need. That is our God. And that's what the psalmist says, thank him for these things. Let's move on to number two. So we're to praise the Lord for his attributes, for who he is. That's an avenue of worship to thank him, to praise him for those things. And we are secondly to praise the Lord for his works. And you'll notice that word work or works is used here in verses four to seven. It's actually used four times. And you're going to see the contrast between these two groups. You're going to see the wicked works, and you're going to see God's work. You're going to see the ones who, who don't know anyone, the stupid, foolish people, and those who do, and who God is. And so if you look back there, the psalmist notes that God in this world has given us everything we need to know him. Everything we need. You know, that question comes up, how will someone know there is a God? Friend, Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Romans 1 says that you can look around nature and know there is a God. So friends, a true knowledge of God is in you wherever you are. This is why Paul can go to Mars Hill back in Athens, basically the cosmopolitan time of the day. And I apologize, guys, just one second. This thing is slipping off. But I can tell you that Paul can go into a city like Athens and he can preach and preach and preach. And he can look and say, you know what? You are worshiping millions of gods, but let me tell you about the one true God. 
That's why today, wherever you share the gospel is a place God can use you to share the gospel. Don't think that God will never put you in a place where you can't share the gospel because those people, as we are about to see, have the work of God in their hearts already. Don't ever let someone tell you they're an atheist. That is a lie, folks. No one's an atheist in this world. Everyone has an ability to believe in God. The question is, will they believe it or will they not? And that is something that even Ripley would not agree with at that point. Ripley's believe it or not. But you know what? God is good. God is good. Look back at verse 4. He says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, and at the works of your hand I will sing for joy. At the works of your hand. What are his works? This is creation. God has created everything as we know it. There's no maverick molecule in this world. That's why, friends, the first sub-point here is if you live to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, the risk will be high, but your joy will be made full. As you live in this world of, of a culture that is arguing more about bathrooms and, and more or about identity than what they should know about who God is, and friends, those are important. Please hear me. God has a set rule on who you are. You, aren't created, you are created in God's image. Male and female, he created them. No more, no less. Please understand that. And friends, that is the gospel truth. But one thing, whether you are male or female, is that you know that God has created you fearfully and wonderfully in, your, in his image. And that's why the old guys, the old dead guys can say this very first question in the Westminster Catechism, an old document from almost 500 years ago, they asked this question. They said, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the purpose of living? Why are you here? Does anyone know the answer to this question? Matt Andrews, help us out, seminary student, budding seminary student. Yes, the chief end of man. What is your purpose here in this life? It's to love God and enjoy him forever. What an awesome thing that is. Because, friends, if you live your life to make others glad in God, if you live your life to point others to say, look, it's not about me, it's all about Him, then your life is going to be enjoying the very God that you are called to enjoy. But look back at verse 5. He says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. Your thoughts are very deep. And there's two affirmation here. He says, God's works are greater than we can imagine. Man, I saw an article a couple weeks ago where they found 20 new planets and for you Star Wars fans, that's probably very exciting in the galaxy far, far away. But God's great works are greater than we can imagine. His works are greater than we can ever think. His thoughts are greater. I mean, think about this. He's all-powerful. Who can understand that? He's all-knowing. Who can understand that? He's all-gracious, loving. Who can understand that? We tell him, we tell others that he is our God. He's the one who never falters. He's the one who has done such great things that when we come to him, we bring only a small something. Actually, we bring nothing in our hands that we can cling to because it's all his. Why do we thank God? Friend, we thank God because he's given us breath and life in this world to glorify him with right here and right now. That's why we thank God. And for some of you, if you have a God, the second little application point here, if you have a God that is powerful enough to be mad at because of evil, then you have a God great enough to have reasons you can't fully get. You know, some people, when they have a terrible thing happen in their lives, they often make that question, where were you, God? Why did this happen to me? Why did this, uh, this terrible thing happen? And friend, as a pastor, let me just tell you that that is one of the hardest conversations you can have. 
as a pastor, when someone comes up to you, and, and Matt, I know you've been in this situation before as you've shared this, when someone asks you, why did my baby die at this point? The answer right there is not to give them a theological discourse right there on the spot. The, 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 the answer to that question is simply to say, look, God is good, and let's pray. Friends, there are things that you're going to chase in this life as you look back over the course of your life, and you say, God, I just don't understand that. But friends, one thing that these verses show us is that his works are deeper than our understanding this side of heaven. His thoughts are deeper than our thoughts this side of heaven. That doesn't mean you don't hurt. It doesn't mean that it's not real. It doesn't mean that the pain is not there. But at some things, we have to lay it at the feet of Christ and say, Lord, I am, I am torn up. I, I hurt more than daggers piercing me from a thousand sides. But Lord, I don't understand why this happened, why this happened in the world. But Lord, I know that you are good and that your works are greater than mine. Father, help me to submit to that in my life. That's hard to do. That's very, very hard to do. Because as we go on, we see people such as verses 6 and 7 come to bear. Look back at verse 6 and 7. God has made his works known, but the stupid man can't know. The fool can't understand that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. I don't know if you've ever had that thought before. Maybe you do. You are working hard. You are toiling. You're, you're studying. You're, you're doing everything you can in your power to, to make the circumstances in your life work out. And then this other guy over here just pops in, pops out, doesn't give any ounce of effort that you do, and they seem to get it all right. Has anyone ever had a mean thought towards those people before? Be honest. Come on, guys. Your smiles are enough, but thank you for raising your hand too. Look, here's the thing. They are senseless, the Bible says. God has made these works so apparent of who he is, what he stands for, that there's nothing that they should know except that their end is coming soon. But yet, they flourish like grass. You know, this time of year, how many of y'all have mowed your grass at least twice in a week this year? Is anybody? Uh, this, this going on the internet, we have a, a neighbor of ours. I, Natalie, was so, Natalie was poking me so much because I kept celebrating. After three weeks of eight-inch high grass or so, they finally mowed their lawn. Amen. It made us all look better in the neighborhood. But you know what? People who don't know God seem to shoot up like grass, don't they? But friends, I'm here to tell you that seasons change. And you know in six months when fall comes in October and November that that grass will die and be brown just like that. But the works of God say this, and the reason we can thank him is in contrast to those who thank God and praise and worship God, they don't thank and praise him. But friends, someday as they honor themselves, those who deny God, they worship themselves, they think of themselves, God will put an end to it. Notice that they won't last forever, but God will. Aren't you grateful for that? You know, the oldest lady died in the world uh, a couple days ago. Uh, she's from Alabama, and they said she lived through 20 U.S. presidents. 20 U.S. presidents. Two world wars. Saw the airplanes, saw computers, saw all the stuff that we have. And, you know, one thing that she commented on, I saw in the article, was she said, I'm grateful that I have my faith in God through the changing times. 116 years old. Because, friends, there are people today that have atheist Sunday schools. They have think about this. Don't you know what Sunday school was for? You remember it was made to teach kids about the Word of God when they were working all the time? How tragic it is that people think that outside of Christ and God and all that He stands for, His works, that they can have a life pleasing to Him. There is none apart from God. You know, Mother's Day was last week, but I think this is still an appropriate uh, illustration for Father's Day coming up. But 
uh, there was a man who came home from work and found a note from his wife on the refrigerator. And it said, honey, this is not working. I can't take it anymore, and I've gone to stay at my mother's house. So the man opened the refrigerator door. It seemed cold to him. The light came on, and the ice maker was still making. Plus, everything felt just as it was. So he muttered to himself, it all seems fine to me, honey. I don't know what the problem is. And he shut the door. He missed the fact that his wife had just walked out the door, and it wasn't the refrigerator. Some of you are sinking that in. But you know what, friends? Sometimes we think we know what we need to thank God for, and we think we know how to live our lives. But may we remember that God has given us all of his works in his word, and he continually shows us that he is enough for us. He is enough for us. So let's go on to number three. We can praise the Lord for who he is, his attributes. We can praise God for his works, that even though men stand opposed to him, that he is still the high and lifted up one. We can also thank and praise God through our worship for his judgment. For his judgment. Look at verses 8 and 9, if you will. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, behold, your enemies shall perish, and all evildoers shall be scattered. Shall be scattered. Again, notice the contrast here. Notice the contrast. Friends, someday God will set all things right. Please know that. Please know that. But these two verses naturally flow out of verses 6 and 7 where uh, the psalmist has said that these wicked people flourish and now God is on high. And I'm grateful that God is on high. He is higher than any Supreme Court. He is higher than any uh, presidential candidate. He is higher than any League of Nations. He's higher than any scientific inquiry. He is higher than anything and anyone in this world, friends. That is our God. And that is not to say we are not responsible. But friends, I just want you to remember that. As you look across this world, and man, in the last three weeks, we have letters going out to schools. We have things going on in in targets. We have all sorts of junk going on in this world right now. But the Lord is enthroned on high forever. That is our God. That is our God. And we need to praise Him for judging a nation. Friends, it may well be that as God, as we enter the next 175 days before the big vote day in November, that God gives over a certain part of his judgment to this nation to let us live out our sinful ways so that we can see there's nothing except him. There's nothing but him. Guys, I don't know about you. We don't vote every four years about whether or not we want God in office. He's forever enthroned. He's preeminent. And that's why... In our personal lives, as we, we, those are national issues, but how are you doing in your personal life? Friend, every time we sin, we say God is not our supreme treasure, and there's something else above him. That'll be the first sub-point you'll see right there, that God is not the supreme treasure in our lives. Look, as we are facing not a moral, this moral decline did not just happen in the last three weeks, folks. I think many of you older people know this. This has happened in our nation as we have gone way away from God's word a long time ago. We are seeing the after effects of decades, centuries even, of going away from God's word. But in your life, as you seek to win your neighbors to Christ, just think that there is no God like our God, that you're a representative of the Most High. You're an ambassador for the God who holds all things together. You are an ambassador for the God who someday will say to his enemies, away from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Friend, I'm grateful that we can thank a God like that. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? It really does. But friends, the greatest thankfulness we have is that God is just. 
And he dealt with it all through Christ. But notice what he says here, the psalmist, verse 8. He says, but you, O Lord, but you. There's no one else, guys, verse 8. There's no one else. No one else can do this. There's not one person. There's not one political group. There's not one whatever that is outside his divine kingship and providence. I want you to be encouraged by that. I've seen a lot of postings on Facebook this week where people have said, you know, I just think, uh, I, I just, I'm going to give up in life. Look, if you are a Christian here today, you are on the side that has already won the war, guys. If you are a Christian here today, you are not on the losing battle. This is not just some hoorah statement, get excited. Friends, you should be excited about this every day, no matter who's in office. You should be excited about this, even if they're throwing you in the lion pit back in Roman times. God is good, and he will have his justice forever. That is why he says, behold, your enemies. Behold, your enemies. The psalmist had to remind God twice, God, look, you have enemies. And God just had to remind the psalmist as he wrote this, all the evildoers will be scattered. For maybe today, as you look around and you're worried about your grandkids, your kids, what kind of environment are they going to grow up in? Look, I'm not saying it's going to be, uh, what was that old show, uh, uh, Mayberry. What show was that? Andy Griffith, yes. Look, we are not asking to go back. I am having, guys, I'm going to go to the wireless. I'm having trouble with this thing today. You know, we are not asking to go back to the 1950s version of a peaceful city. I'm not saying that was all bad. But friends, when we consider what God is doing in this nation today, we have to consider that everything is in his hands. Do not despair, Christian. You have won the battle. You haven't, but Christ has. Doesn't mean you give up praying. Doesn't mean you give up standing for truth. But you do remember what these verses say, that all evildoers shall be scattered someday. That is our hope. That is our hope. Their destruction is inevitable. You know, the Super Bowl was a few months ago, but I love the analogy here. You know, the Super Bowl is the biggest produced TV event every single year. Isn't that amazing? The biggest produced single event through everything in this world. And they have six hours devoted to pregame. They have endless, countless things that as soon as the uh, champion is crowned, they go right into an extra. Who's going to win the next crown? But one thing. They have over 150 cinematographer cameras getting every detail of everything at the Super Bowl. And this entourage includes 40 trailers, 40 trucks, and they use 28 cameras and shoot about 25 miles of film for a three-hour game. Is that not amazing? It's a lot of stuff. Yet with all this coverage, not everything is filmed. You think about that. Even though every angle is covered, some shots will be missed. Maybe it's the, the high five behind the scenes. Maybe it's the guy on his 20th hot dog at a hot dog eating. Co- I don't know. But things aren't always covered. But I want to encourage you, Christian, here today, that when God looks at this earth, at judgment, nothing will be missed. Nothing. Matthew twelve thirty six tells us that we must give an account for every word. And though the Super Bowl coverage seems impressive every year, and it is from a human standpoint, it's nothing more than a blurry snapshot when God compares us to the chronicles of our lives. Christian, I want you to be thankful today that God is a God that judges. God is a God that judges. Be thankful for that. Don't quiver at that thought. Don't let the culture tell you that that is a terrible God. Why would he judge? That's your God, not mine. Friends, if you do not believe that God is going to set all things right, then you do not believe in the God that we believe in. 
Because without knowing who he is, without knowing his works, you won't know this very thing. Friends, I want you to be encouraged again today that God is high and lifted up. Christians, with all the stuff going on with the news right now, maybe you in your heart, maybe us as a church in our heart, need to look up and say, thank you, Lord, that you're high and lifted up. That is our God that we need to see. And what does this lead to? Inevitably, it leads to the next thing. We praise the Lord for his attributes. We praise the Lord for his works. We praise the Lord for his judgment. And it all comes back to the big B word. It all comes down to blessings. These final verses are going to draw us in for those who give thanks to God and sing his praises. This is going to be about exalting God because this is what it comes down to. Look back at verse 10. Praise the Lord for his blessings. Verse 10. He says, but you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies, and my ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Uh, When it says here a horn, uh, this is not literally like a horn protruding out. Uh, You know, it's funny to type in Google images sometimes when you're looking for verses, images for certain sections. And there was one that had a horn coming out of the side of a guide. It says Psalm 92, verse 10. That's not what we're talking about. What it means is that this is a symbol of power and strength. This horn is something that God has given them, that my eyes have now seen, and God has exalted me. He has allowed me to be a part of his kingdom to see the blessing that all things will be right someday because he is who he is. He's exalted his church with power. Friends, I hope you believe that verse from Matthew where God says that even the very gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God. Look, even in the last three weeks, there have been at least two major pastors, I say celebrity pastors is a good term, that have fallen into sin. There are 5,500 pastors a year who leave the ministry for various reasons unrelated to their calling and conduct in the Bible. You look at churches across the world and the nation and attendance is down. Attendance is at an all-time low. Giving is at an all-time low. Not here. Praise the Lord for your faithfulness, guys. But you can look all the way around and you can forget. You can easily be so, well, if we just did this. Friends, I want us to focus on who God is in Christ. This is not some pie-in-the-sky theology. This impacts you right where you are as you sit in your house and you ponder this world. You ponder your neighborhood. You ponder your kids. You ponder whatever is going on in your life. The blessing is, is that the righteous will be exalted. That those who seek after God will be exalted. That is what he's saying to be thankful for here. But God has exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. I have never seen a wild ox except at the Kansas City Zoo. But I can tell you, they're powerful beasts. And I can tell you, as you faithfully serve God, he will faithfully raise you up as you seek after him. But oh, beware. Because everything, first sub-point, everything in God's kingdom is inverted. You must be poor to be rich. You must be mournful to be comforted. You must be humble to be exalted. And you must give up to gain. Isn't that so contrary to the world today? Friends, that is what God exalts, are those things, are those things. And he goes on here. He says that the righteous will flourish. Notice verses 12 through 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are all full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright, that he is a rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Wow. Those who trust in God are like a strong tower. Friends, that's why, and I am so grateful the Lord has blessed us with so many visitors. You're visiting with us. Thank you for coming to Tower View. So grateful. 
So grateful for the gospel testimony. So many of you who've been here for decades and years with so much faithfulness. Because as we seek after him, we are planted in the house of the Lord. That no matter what this culture throws at us, no matter what our lives may throw at us, that we are solidified together that the righteous will flourish. Parent here today, you may have a wayward son or daughter. Older, younger, it doesn't matter, but I want you to know that the righteous will flourish when you are seeking after through thankfulness for who God is, what he's done, and what he will do. God will hold you firm. But like a tree in a tornado or a hurricane, you may sway back and forth, and it feels like feels like our ceiling fan in our, uh, in our bedroom. It's, it, you turn it on, that thing's going to kill us in the night or something, you know. That's how we feel, so we, we use the box fan. That's how you may feel at times. But I want to remind you today that you who are faithful to God, God will be faithful to you. And what a thankfulness that is. Church, let me just tell you this. The churches that will flourish now are not the cool ones, whatever that means, but the fearless ones standing in glad solidarity with other faithful churches. You know, cool, 20 years ago, was wearing an, uh, an earring and having a mohawk. Was that at 80s? I don't know. Some of you can tell me this. Whatever cool was 20 years ago. You know, cool today in the church world is, um, actually, I don't know what cool is. Matt, you'll have to tell me what cool is. I don't, that's 10 years ago for me. Matt doesn't know either, so we're lost. Sorry, guys. But, you know, guys, whatever cool is is going to be defined by what that is. You know, you see names like you, you see names of churches, and they're they're just interesting. And, and look, reach people where they're at, but don't sacrifice the truth. Be faithful; you will flourish. You will flourish. That's why it says they will build fruit in their old age. Look, some of you who have, who know this and can preach this sermon ten times over, you don't wear out God, and God doesn't wear out on you. You shall be fresh and green and vigorous in the Lord. Verse 15, to give us an answer to why would God do this in your old age? Verse 15, to declare that he is an upright. He always does what is just and right. He is your rock. He's your firm foundation. And there's no unrighteousness in him. As many of you look back over your life, you have regrets, no doubt. As I look back under my young marriage and young life, I have regrets, no doubt. Friends, I'm grateful that in Christ, those have been forgiven. Doesn't mean the consequences have gone away. Certainly those are still there to some degree. But aren't you grateful that God forgives? Aren't you thankful that the blessing is is that you can flourish because he has allowed you to in Christ? You know, it's hard to believe. How, uh, young people, how many of y'all have heard of Billy Graham before, teenagers? Wow. That's actually pretty shocking. How many of y'all have heard of Billy Graham congregation-wide? Most hands go up. Uh, our generation, the uh, late 20s, early 30s, seems to be the last to know about Billy Graham. Billy Graham, great faithful preacher. You know, he was a man who came with the fire of the word and, and taught. And he met his wife in November, Ruth Graham, November 1940. And they went on their first date in, in that year. And they attended their college's presentation of Handel's Messiah. Uh, it's a great thing if you've never heard it. But later on that night, Ruth Graham really like this, the young preacher with the cool slicked back hair. I wish I could do that with my hair. It kind of looks like this occasionally. But you know, she got on her knees and she prayed, God, if you will let me serve you with that man, I'd consider it the greatest privilege of my life. And you know what happened that following spring? God brought them together in marriage. And she went on to reflect, Ruth Graham did on this, and she said that couples who serve God with their spouse as the life's greatest privilege generally experience life's greatest blessings together. Friends, the greatest blessing is whether you are single, you seek after God until God brings you a mate. 
if you are divorced and God has, you were the, the strong one in there and you stood for Christ and you had a spouse that left you, you serve Christ until God blesses you with someone in the Lord if he so does. If you are a parent and you see other parents flourishing and you think, man, if I could just do what they do, would you be faithful to what God has given you right in front of your very eyes? If you're a grandparent here today and you say, I've, I've tried to teach this to my grandkids, I, I just don't see it happening, would you consider it the greatest joy and privilege in your station of life to celebrate the small victories that you see in someone's life that you love come to know Christ? Wherever you are, know that God is there. Friends, whatever God has given us, it's all his. We can thank him for who he is. We can thank him for his works. We can thank him for his judgment. And by golly, we can thank him for his blessings. That is worship. That is worship. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, as we come before you today, we just remember the fact that you are good and you are God. Father, there's a lot to be thankful for today through worship. Father, I do pray for our nation not praying for any particular political party or not, but Father, I'm just praying for our nation to repent and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That is my prayer. I'm praying as we debate social issues, Lord, we go through some many things that we see on the airways, we see on Facebook and Twitter and social media just come across our eyes all the time that are talked about in restaurants. Father, that you would help us not to shy away from those arguments necessarily, but to remember ultimately that our allegiance is to you. And as we are aligned with you, that we will follow you. Help us to know that, Lord. Father, give us great wisdom at our church as we seek to know what worship is. Father, help us to remember that you are God and we're not. That your judgment is good, that your works are good, and that your blessings are good. Help us to worship you. Father, I'm praying for anyone here who doesn't know Christ today. I would ask that you would just give great grace through your spirit to draw them unto Christ. Father, thank you so much that while we were sinners, you gave your son for us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.